Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me. And they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. And welcome to Mission Unstoppable. I'm so glad that you are joining us today. Well, this is going to be quite a show. Uh, 2011 was a year that most North Americans remember for the attack on the Twin Towers in New York City. But for my next guest, 2011 was her personal year from hell. Beginning in July, when she went through a bitter divorce and custody battle, September, her mother had died from breast cancer, and October saw a foreclosure on her home. So why do bad things happen to good people? What lessons are to be learned from this, if any? Well, my guest today is Sandra Beck, and what she learned was that while God does work in mysterious and painful ways, through the ashes rises up something so much better. But you have to be open to receiving it. How did she do it? We're going to find out because you know what? We're going to go on a mission unstoppable, and Sandra Beck is our guide today. So welcome, Sandra. Hey, thanks, Frankie. I'm glad to be here. This is quite an amazing story. And, you know, we all, Sandra is a very successful radio host. She's an internet brand strategist. She's the CEO of her own company, Motherhood Incorporated Inc. I mean, she is really um, a real go getter. So, you know, she's a human being too. And, and, you know, she had one heck of a year, a lot of, a lot of hits, let's say, but I want to, I want to go back in time a little bit to when Sandra was a little Sandra. What kind of kid were you? Were you a fighter scrapper or a girly girl? Um, I was a fighter scrapper. If I wanted to get attention in my family, I had two brothers and a sister and a dad and everything was about football and sports and being outside. And, um, I wasn't a girly girl and I used to fight with my sister about the pink wallpaper and the pink bedding that she chose for our room, which I still don't let her, you know, live down till today. (laughs) Um, but I had to fight to be heard. I was the middle child and, um, there was a lot going on in my family. My family was the type of family that adopted other kids. It wasn't uncommon for there to be extra people at our dinner table or extra people sleeping on the floor. If my mom didn't have a bed for somebody, she'd pull the cushions off the couch, make a bed, put a pillow on it. There you go. I know that you were really close with your mom and you really admire your mom. What was it about her that you admired the most? Well, here's the funny thing, okay? My mom and I did not really see eye to eye when I was little. She would say things like, I don't know where you came from. (laughs) I got that too. Yeah, and my sister was very close to my mom. And then my sister went away to college. And then um, I kind of got my mom all to myself at that point. And it was really strange to be the girl then with my mom. and, And we really forged a great relationship when I was in college, like we talked about literature, we talked about movies, we talked about uh, everything that I was doing in life. And we really found that when I grew into myself, as opposed to the scabby little tomboy, um, that we had a lot in common. And we actually toured Europe together for a couple months when my, uh, at the time it was my husband didn't want to go. So I said, Hey, mom, you want to go? She dropped everything and met me in London. Wow. That's awesome. 
that's the kind of mom we should all be. (laughs) Well, absolutely. You know, my mom had a bunch of kids and she had a lot of responsibility and I needed a lot of attention. And if I didn't get the attention, Frankie, I would just take off. You know, I would just go in the woods, go climb up a tree, read a book, you know, poke holes in the beaver dam and watch them fix it. You know, that was uh, that was fun for me. It's interesting, though, how um, you're this this child and yet you, your degree, like you have a master's in journalism and advertising, you know, communications is your thing. And and, you know, is it that need for attention that turned you on to communications No, I mean, I, you know, I'm really a contradiction in terms because I went to Northwestern and I got a, I got a creative writing scholarship and it was only because I was mad at my, um, I was mad at one of my teachers who demanded I do creativity. And I had this teacher when I was in fifth grade and she made me write a poem and she's like, you can't go to recess till you write a poem. So I wrote this poem. I won't do what you want. You can cry. You can plead. You can stab yourself deeply and bleed and bleed and bleed. (laughs) So (laughs) needless to say, I had to go to the school psychologist and they declared me okay, a little bratty, but okay. And when I got into high school, I got one of her best friends as my teacher, my English teacher. And she really leaned on me. I think, you know, she never got over the bleed and bleed and bleed thing with her friend. And so I wrote this thing where Chaucer meets God and, you know, and it was very, very creative, very, very different, very, very angry. Um, Uh But it got me, essentially got me into Northwestern's creative writing program, which I turned down and I opted to go to their journalism program instead um, because after talking to my mom and dad, they're like, you can't make a living as a creative writer. You need some skills. And mm-hmm. journalism will at least give you a skill to get employed. And I ended up getting my master's degree for nothing but the grace of God, Frankie, because I had saved up all my electives. In my junior year, I was going to take golf and art and dance, (laughs) you know, and just have this cruising kickback year. And my advisor happened to be the dean of the business school. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. You know, you're going to take these classes. You're going to take master's classes. You're going to do this and you're going to get your um, master's degree in five years. And, you know, thankfully, you know, left to my own devices, I'd be playing golf right now. (laughs) Right. So where did the anger come from? Why are you so angry? Who are you angry at? I was born that way. I I didn't have abusive parents. I didn't have, you know, but when I don't get my way and what makes me, you know, great for advocacy for different causes, that anger for injustice really just lights up a fire. Right. I think that's why we get along. <laughs> I think so too, because I, I get the same way. You do too. And- Not to mention that I was a journalism major too. But yeah, I get very angry um, at injustice. Me like too. That's the thing that turns me. And that's what turned me into journalism. Oh. Yeah. It, I, it was, you know, I didn't like injustice and I was going to write about it and I was going to, you know, make a change. Just, I mean, we're still, how many years later, try, still trying to change the world and make a change and make a difference, right? Oh, every day. Every, every- day. Yeah. So you're like a pit bull. Yes. I like to be a pretty blonde pit bull, but I'll be a pit yeah. bull. Well, you're a pretty blonde. <laughs> pretty blonde pit bull. I, I can't say that too many times. <laughs> pretty blonde pit bull. But so you, anger issues, um, has that ever gone away? No. 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 
I, I don't care what it is, whether I'm in the school, if I'm in the church, if I'm in the Girl Scouts, if I'm in the Boy Scouts. Like, you know, I went up against the Boy Scouts because of all the what I thought was toxins in the popcorn they were selling. And I said to my troop, I'm like, guys, we're not eating this and we're not selling it to other kids. It's full of garbage. Now, you know, the Boy Scouts are going to get mad at me and right. you know, sue me over my opinion. But if I wouldn't put this product into my own children, why would I sell it to others? And so needless to say, I'm not a Boy Scout leader anymore. <laughs> yeah, they don't, they don't take very kindly to people who think outside of the box. No, really most don't. groups they don't. don't. I've had the same rampage with the kids' um, programs at school, the fundraisers. They're selling pizza, um, candy, Mm -hmm. chocolate, and then all this, like, artificial dye-covered popcorn full of chemicals. It's like, just hand your kid a chemical cocktail and, you know, don't light an open flame. Please, well, just give them a cigarette because it's going to do the same thing. Well, yeah. You know, and I'm all for fundraisers, don't get me right. wrong, but let's do a jump rope. Let's do something that reduces childhood obesity rather than fuels it. Exactly. So, yeah, so, kind of so it, it would have to be, you know, I, I can just imagine Sandra in a relationship because you don't you don't like people not tell, telling you not what to do or something like that. So it, it's, it's kind of interesting. Were you are you prickly in a relationship? Oh, I'm awful. So you have to have I a mean, special kind of guy. Yes. And I will, you know, you know, it's like the guys I've dated and the, the man I was married to, I was really upfront. I never claim to be easy. You know, I am mm-hmm. difficult. I can watch a McDonald's commercial and start to cry. I mean, I can get angry over some certain thing. And it's not like I'm going to go busting up the microwave angry, but right. I'm passionate about equality. I'm passionate about children's rights. I'm passionate about children's health. I mean, especially with children, Frankie, because they don't have a choice. Right. You have a lot of choices that kids don't. That's true. They, they get the garbage that, that people give them or the good stuff that people give them either way. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty unfortunate that, and I get really, really angry when I see obese children. That's kind of something that really bothers me. Oh, okay. Can we go back to the Boy Scouts? We can. We can. Okay. So I was, I had a rampage and I actually did it on the air and I got in a lot of trouble, but um, it was worth it because they gave some fat kid in our state a marshmallow gun. And of course he's going to eat the marshmallows, Um, but because he sold like, 2,000 packages of some of the things they were selling. And I'm like, first of all, you should award the dad who worked at FedEx because he took that stuff to work and he sold it. The kid right. didn't sell it. So right. I was all bent out of shape about that. You know, but then when Hang they... On, sh- what's a marshmallow gun? It's a, got- like a toy gun that shoots marshmallows. You stuff it your with mouth. marshmallows okay. and you fire them. You don't shoot them in your mouth. You shoot them at oh, each okay. other. You know, it's okay. a safe way to play with firearms. Sure. <laughs> like a Nerf. But yeah, like a nerf, but okay. use marshmallows instead. And okay. I was so angry because this kid was so overweight. And, you know, I was like, what are we rewarding here? We're putting up a kid who clearly eats too much, is sedentary, doesn't take care of his health, and his dad sells his, his stuff for him. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I was mad. I'd be mad. I, I just get mad that they, that they don't try to look after their children. I mean, you know, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to say, like, you, you're diabetic, Yes. And you don't want to have more kids with diabetes. It's no. not necessary for them to grow into it. I mean, if they weren't born with childhood diabetes, they don't certainly don't need it. And and we see more of that in the United States than anywhere else. Right. 
Right. And it's lifestyle. When I go into my son's classroom and I, I know this like kind of makes me a total B-I-T-C-H, but I look at these kids and I'm like fat, 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 normal, fat, fat, normal, yeah. fat, fat. And, you know, where do you go when you're a, when you're an obese third grader? Yeah. So, yeah, that I, makes it, me really mad. I think it should be abuse. It is. It, it is child abuse. In my in my book, that's child abuse. Absolutely. Because like you said, they don't have a choice. There was a show. I'm going to go off here for just one second. There was a show in the, in the, in the UK, and it was a, a food coach. And this, what this family ate was tons of white bread and bologna. And pretty much that's all they ever ate. And they put it out on, on a table. And she, said, and she said, this is what your family eats in a week. And it was just piles and piles of white bread and bologna. And the mom goes, yeah, well. And she says, there's not one vegetable. There's not fruit there's nothing she goes well my kids don't like that and she said really so they bought some fruit and they made whoa i didn't even get that oh we'll continue right after these messages stop have you heard the pages of american patchwork and quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show american patchwork and quilting join pat sloan our blogging and quilt designer host as she talks about the latest trends ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. Well, the U.S. sure has experienced torrential thunderstorms, lightning, and flooding recently. Thunderstorms, otherwise known as cockeyed bobs, can be pretty scary. What's the fear of thunder and lightning called? Astrophobia. Years ago, Roy Sullivan, a Virginia Park Ranger, was struck by lightning seven different times and lived to tell about it. Lightning struck his head through his hat, set his hair on fire, and burned his eyebrows off. The current from the lightning traveled through both legs and blew his shoes off. The final lightning bolt hit him while fishing, and he was hospitalized for chest and stomach burns. Believe it or not, Roy Sullivan managed to recover from seven lightning strikes, but later died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound as a result of loneliness, otherwise known as azagaphrenia. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Well, I hope that you stuck around. I'm so sorry. We're having a little Skype difficulties here today, and, and I totally missed my cue, but hopefully you're still here with us and, and listening. And we did go off on a little bit of a tangent. But what the point I was trying to make about these obese children in this show was that the host went and made watercress soup. Now, that's something that you wouldn't exactly think a kid would like. This woman's children gobbled it up and asked for more. And she said, you've never offered your children fruit or vegetables, ever. And she said, you know, kind of sheepishly, I know. And, and you know, 
they they totally went from this white bread bologna to having healthy meals and the children started to say come on mom and dad let's go out and play let's you know play some soccer let's do because they were all really heavy and they all lost weight and it was fantastic to see so there yay we like yay. that yeah so lots of challenges you know but you found a guy you found this guy and you know, you fell in love and you got married. And you, I think you said, what, you were married for 18 years? Uh, 12 years. 12 uh, years. Total, yeah. And you had two boys. We did. And it was 9-11. And you, he, 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 brought, he actually brought in a nanny to help you with the second child. Uh, well, 2011. It was 2011, and we had um, we had brought in a girl to help us in our home office, a local woman, a, a married woman with two kids, and uh, I was pregnant with my second child, and I needed help because I was running a company, uh, the company that funded our lifestyle, and then we also had a home business that my ex-husband worked in, so we brought her in to alleviate some of these things because I had to go on bed rest. Wow. And? And lo and behold, lo and behold, um, that uh, in 2011, I I filed for divorce because of their relationship. They later went on to get married. um, And uh, when I went to business school, Frankie, they never taught me not to hire my husband's mistress. (laughs) (laughs) That's the class I missed. Yeah, you should have hired his best friend instead. Yeah, I should have hired some like giant, huge, fat old man that, you know, had no sex appeal. Not that this lady was anything to shake a stick at, but because, you know, you always hope that somebody, if your husband leaves you, at least it makes sense if they leave you for somebody younger and thinner and hotter. (laughs) But I'm just going to say in this case, and you can call it sour grapes, but I'm like, really? Really? Like... The GED special? Come on now. Wow. Yeah. And and so are they still married today? They are. Wow. Okay. So obviously, um, you know, he didn't have great taste. And, <laughs> you know, there's a lot more to women than, than just looks, especially pregnant women. Um, but, you know, you're obviously extremely brilliant. And so you had this company and, and you filed for divorce. And the unthinkable happened. Yeah. Um, my mom had been fighting through this whole battle, five years of breast cancer. And she, let's see, I got, my divorce was final in July. My mom died in September. And then I went through a foreclosure at the same time, not of my main residence. I fought like tooth and nail to keep my main residence, but I did lose uh, the property that I bought a three bedroom condo and Flagstaff in the ski area that I had rented out as an income property. And the intention was was I bought it when my son was born, that we had a short loan on it so that when my older son and my younger son turned 18, we could sell it for their education. And uh, that was not only lost in the divorce, but forced into foreclosure because of the divorce. And I will tell you that my heart didn't break as much as my like my wallet broke. Like I was right. really mad that my investments that I had worked for for 20 years just were ripped into pieces. Intentionally. Intentionally, I'm sure, you know, I, I can't yeah. get to somebody else's mind, but, yeah. you know, it was a huge money loss, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it was frustrating. And then I had to drive out to pick up our the few personal belongings I had there. You know, it was just a, an utter collapse, um, just an utter collapse. Yeah, I really like Flagstaff, actually. It's kind of a cool place. It is. Um, yeah. 
and, and what about the 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 children though? Did, didn't he go for custody of your of the children? Well, he yeah. Well, it was we had an agreement, and you know it was just a verbal agreement. And the kids were primarily staying with me. I had uh, working out of my house, and I had somebody coming in to help that I trusted. Um, so that yep, was yep. good. And um, she, there were two women, and they were cousins. And one of them had a little daughter the same age. So I said, please bring her to my home. All the kids can play together. And we really had a wonderful existence. And then when my ex husband um, decided he was going to blend her kids and my kids, um, my kids started to go there over overnight and then every weekend. And it, you know, it happened so fast. It was like, look, this is what we're doing. If not, I'll take you to court. And blah, 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 blah. You know, it was really ugly. And so my kids really had no preparation. I would have done it a lot slower. I would have introduced the concept. I would have worked with them, maybe not so much with my four-year-old, but definitely mm-hmm. with my, you know, six, seven-year-old because he was angry. He was like, I am not getting ripped out of my house. Mhm mhm and and how was she with your children um, well, in the initial thing, initial stages, it was like fun. They were like, I call them the Disneyland weekends and, right. you know, they would come and take them on these great adventures and everything was fun, fun, fun. Um, but you know, before long, there were problems happening between the kids. There were different ages. There are different personalities. Like, like imagine like Niles and Frazier moving in with Bob and Doug yeah. McKenzie, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And it just and it just got worse and worse and worse and you know a lot of times the they blamed it on me the couple because we all went to couples counseling me my ex husband oh and my his new wife you know I agreed to go I'll do what's best for yeah. my kids and I still go to that therapist today they don't um, but you know it was a big mess when you blend families too fast mm-hmm. because you want so badly to live together you can't just smush kids together and things like this is your new mom and these are your new brothers you know that really freaks right. the crap out of kids yeah yeah relationships take a bit of time to develop what about her husband he just didn't you know i you know away I, or? yeah he didn't um you know i had heard that he had said um you know that my ex-husband did him the greatest favor oh yeah and and in in reality this woman did me an amazing favor like she gets me like i get her a christmas card for me for life even though she doesn't want it because she took a big 200 pound problem off my hand so when did when did you realize that there was a problem in your relationship other than besides him hitting on the on on this lady like was there a problem in your relationship before that yeah it was when my first son was born and my first son I had health complications he had health complications he was premature he was in the NICU and I could see my ex-husband what made him fun in his 20s in his late 30s and 40s it's not so fun when you don't grow up. You know, he wanted to go to the movies. He wanted to do these things. And it's like, look, I'm working full time. I'm nursing the baby. Like, I'm not saying I was perfect, right. but it was attention. And the baby was getting the attention. And I saw it once at the baby shower. And I thought, that's a weird response because he kind of got like all nose out of joint at the baby shower because everything was about me and the baby. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That well, was- it's very common. It's so common. Sometimes I wonder how marriages survive children. I really do. Because, you know, guys are so used to, oh, hi, honey. How are you? You know, and even my husband says, you know, I, I say hi to the dog first, you know, because <laughs> he comes home at the same time. But it, it's it's kind of funny that um, 
it, it is difficult. You have to give your attention to your children. That's who deserves it. That's who needs it the most. And yet husbands always feel, uh, uh, you know, kind of left out. And if you don't have the energy to give them, which why would you? Because you've, you've worked all day too and looked after kids and made the dinner and cleaned your house and did, you know, twice the things that, that most guys do. Um, and you're not sitting there with, you know, in a pretty dress and a smile, lipstick on your face at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, it can be a little bit of a problem. Well, and I'll be the first one to say, Frankie, you know, my mother was going through chemotherapy for life extension, um, life extension, not, you know, right. we knew it was terminal. So, right. you know, there was part of me that is like, you know what, honey, if you could just be patient with me, she's going to be dead soon. You know, like, and mm-hmm. when you have a premature baby, you know, my baby was born at 32 weeks and that meant bottle feeding, tube feeding 24 seven. He could only take an ounce an hour, you know, till right. he was six months old. So, you know, you marry for better or worse. And, you know, when it's worse and somebody just turns their back on you and acts like a spoiled little brat, I'm not getting enough attention. It's like, you want our kid to die. You want my mom to die. How do you expect me to choose? And maybe if you helped me, I could not be so tired and I could attend to you more. So I get it. I know I wasn't perfect. Yeah. But you know, there, there's a time in every, I think almost every marriage, I'm not going to generalize, but when you've got babies, and whether you have a child in NICU or not, you're tired. You know, it's yeah. the first time around, you're tired. You're not used to having to look after this little person 24-7. You didn't, you know, you didn't think that you were signing on for that. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know it was supposed to be like that. I'm like, I have to bathe them every day. I have to do this forever now. And, you know, I was exhausted. And, and my kid was fine. So, you know, everybody, I I think a lot of marriages go through, if you have a good husband and you have a good guy who understands and and can pitch in and can help you, amazing. But I didn't, you know, I didn't have that at all. And and so it was no wonder that, that, you know, my marriage went down the tubes too, um, because I think he too was jealous that I didn't have the time that, you know, everything was going towards the kids. Well, they're your kids. They're his kids too. And yeah. they're benefiting, and, and he should want that. I think so, you know. But, and I, but you look at this and go, you know, what's really at stake here? And it's, I think it's a lot of that immediate gratification. If I don't get it immediately, mm-hmm. you know, then I'm going to get angry. And, you know, I gave you attention for 10 years. I'm sorry that this year isn't great for giving you attention, but get over it. Yeah. Well, not only is it just children, but today, you know, our generation, your generation especially has, you know, you're the sandwich generation. If it's not your kids, it's going to be your parents. You know, you ha- like you've got your father staying with you now. It, you know, all of us had to, I had to look after my mother before she passed away. Like there, it's happening now. This is, you know, these baby boomers are, are becoming aged and eventually, um, you know, they have to look after the parents. So whether it's a baby, a new baby, or it's a senior, there's going to be some attention deficit somewhere. Right. Well, and you add on to working moms. Most of us are working full-time on top of everything else. We're about to go to a break, but stick around because I'm sure that if this isn't your situation, you know of others who have been or are in this situation because it's very common. But What Sandra did is uncommon. She is unstoppable. So make sure you stick around, stay close, because we are going to come back and talk to her a bit more about life and rising up from the ashes. Yay. 
That's right, don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. Secret Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velazzi's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velazzi is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, ingenuity, and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures. To her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons, her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine, and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Fox News recently reported that exercise slows the onset of memory loss and dementia and that losing your memory is not an inevitable part of life. Multiple research shows having a healthy lifestyle and staying mentally challenged may lower your chance for diminished memory. Exercise counteracts the brain shrinkage that occurs with age. Studies have shown that while older exercisers gained 2% of brain volume, non-exercisers lost brain tissue. The benefits of exercise amass early, and the Journal of Sports Science and Medicine found that people in their 20s who exercised on a regular basis had a better memory compared to those that did not exercise. Exercise in midlife can significantly reduce the incidence of dementia three decades later. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Keeping you healthy, happy, and fit. You are listening to Mission Unstoppable. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and my guest today is Sandra Beck. And she is taking us on a Mission Unstoppable through her life. So Sandra had, you know, we, we talked about um, the divorce. We've talked about your mother passing um, and, and the foreclosure on the home. So, I mean, we can tell just from listening to you that you are, you're bright, you're strong, you know, all of these things. But what happened to you that year? Did you, did you find that something unexpected happened to you? Did you find, uh, I'm not going to say that you crumbled, but did you find that it was difficult to get up? 
Oh, are you kidding? Crumble doesn't even begin to describe it. I fell like I fell apart. I felt like if you tapped me on the shoulder, I would shatter into a million pieces. Like I really I spiraled down so low. It really shocked me. I didn't think like I'm always been an upbeat, positive person. So for me to get that low, you know, I went to the doctor and I got put on anti-anxiety medication because I couldn't sleep. I mean, I would ruminate all night long. Like, why is this happening? What? what is going on? Like, am I going to lose this? Am I going, oh my God, oh my God, why did this happen? What did I do wrong? It was all about my own failure, really. And it was of my own making. Like, I have to be honest, you know, with everybody here, it's not like, it's not my mom's fault. It's not my ex-husband's fault. It's not my kid's fault. It is my fault because I kind of lost control of my thinking and it just spiraled, Frankie. And I I really, I know it, like it was a little bit, you know, postpartum depression. It was Mm -hmm. a little bit of everything. But I just completely imploded like a black hole and I would suck any negativity in. And, you know, I was trying to work and I I cut off all communication with my friends, with my family. You know, people were really worried about me. And I didn't just sit home and cry, but I did cry for like 83 straight days. I marked it in my day planner. And I went to get antidepressants. They gave me some antidepressants the first couple days. I took them. I thought I was going to go nuts. Like, this is not for me. Now, the anti-anxiety that I would take to help me sleep, that was for me. And I would take like a quarter or a half depending on what I needed. But, you know, I had two kids and, you know, I was nursing, so I didn't take anything while I was nursing. But then later on when I took stuff, when I was no longer nursing, um, I could only take a little bit because I couldn't sleep through the baby crying. I couldn't sleep through my son, you know, so, oh, it was, I was a mess. And I broke my arm in the middle of all that too. I fell down the stairs with my baby. Oh my God. With a baby in your arms? Yeah, so I fell on oh, my hand, my not with him. Um, but I think the lowest point was I went to pick up my my son from school. He was five. And this is a God-honest, Frankie, true story. It's like one of my most embarrassing moments. But I share it because I want women to know where you can go and you, know, you can come back from this. Mm-hmm. I walked up to the school to pick him up, and I had been editing a document all night and all morning using different colored highlighters. And I started using this pink highlighter. And... As I would get tired, I would put like my hand on my head, not realizing like, you know, I had drawn with highlighter like all over the side of my face. And <laughs> I walked up and all the moms are standing there waiting to pick up their kids, looking all cute. And, and you know, I looked like death warmed over and they kind of looked at me. And I, I had this mindset at the time that nobody liked me and everybody was making fun of me because of this awful divorce and, you know, total shame filled like the walk of yeah. shame. And they're looking at me funny and I'm like, oh, you know, of course they're looking at me funny. And then I looked in the doors of the school waiting for the kids to come out and I thought, oh my God, there's a homeless woman in the elementary school. I wonder what she's doing there. And as I looked closer, Frankie, it was me. Oh my goodness. The reflection, I could not believe what I looked like. I had my hair in a scrunchie. I have long blonde hair, hair in a scrunchie on my head. It was sticking out every which way. I had pink highlighter from like my eyebrow down (laughs) the side of my cheek. And then I looked down and I had run out to get my kids, no bra on, you know, old crappy like college t-shirt and saggy, saggy ass sweatpants, not cute little pink sweatpants, but like saggy ass pants. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's not like I was fat and giant overweight. I just, I was so sloppy and I was like, oh my God, Frankie, that's me. Was it a wake up call? Oh Yeah. 
It was a wake up call. Like it was wake up call number one. Wake up call number two happened about three months later um, when I was brushing my hair and my hair started falling out. Oh, wow. It fell out just from stress. There was nothing nutritionally wrong with me. There was nothing, anything. And true to, you know, like most women, I didn't really get, make big changes or get serious help until my hair was falling out. Yeah. Yeah. So you would wake up and you would look in the mirror and you didn't really recognize this person. You go, what happened to Sandra the Confident? What happened to Sandra the Doer? What happened to Sandra, you know, the, the Dragon Slayer? Yes. The activist. And, you know, that's exactly what I said to, you know, I did a lot of work over the years for the Marine Corps. And one of my Marine buddies came over that I've known, you know, for 20 years. And he goes, girl, he said, you look like S-H-I-T. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do. And he stood me in the mirror. He like held my hair by the ponytail and he stood next to me all tough and big and bad. And he's like, you are going to say, I am the S-H-I-T. <laughs> and I started to laugh. And he's like, girl, you got to say it. I'm like, I am the S-H-I-T. I am. The... And I started that. And he's like, you're going to do this every morning when you get up 20 times. You're going to do it every time before you go to bed. And, you know, I had to change it when the kids are around. I would say, I am the bomb. But, you know, it was vulgar. It was funny. It was so out of character for me. And, you know, it started turning things around. So First Sergeant Michael Hoffman, if you're out there listening, thank you for teaching me that. Yeah. Yay. Was your husband abusive, like verbally abusive? Yeah. Yeah, I have a, um, he finally hit me actually after we got married. He punched me in the head, uh, after we were, or not after we married, after we were divorced. Um, oh, you know, wow. some people think, uh, when you're married to somebody with an abusive personality, mm -hmm. you think that divorcing them is going to make it better. And a lot of times it actually makes it worse, Frankie, because they lose control over you the way that he would control us all with his moods, with his temper tantrums, with throwing things and yelling and all that stuff um i thought would end and it did end you know when we got divorced and he moved out you know we did create a place of peace that we could live and and be quiet and respectful to each other and not arguing all the time over every little thing um but he couldn't control me anymore and the court stepped in and gave me certain rights and privileges and if he didn't follow them um you know he would get in trouble and sure enough you know they had gone away to vegas for the weekend and come back he had hurt his toe and you know was in a bad mood and you know hit me in front of my kids and my dad wow and so, yeah, he got himself a five-year restraining order and, you know, a lot of counseling and things. And I went to counseling, too, because, you know, at that point, you know, I needed I needed professional help. I'm not ashamed to say I've got a swankin' college education. I'm bright as a stick. I'm, I yep. needed that help. And we all need help. And smart people know to get help. Not smart people say, I don't need it. Right. And that's why I was going to ask you about when you were, um, you know, at the time of the antidepressants and, and stuff, like what made you go? What made you know that you needed help? Yeah. When I went to the first counseling session with my ex-husband and his girlfriend and they started ripping into me and I, 
I didn't know what else to do. I didn't defend myself. I didn't, I didn't do anything. And it was eerily similar to a girl that worked in my office here in my home. Another girl that worked for me, she said, San, you're so deep in depression. You're so deep in denial. You're so deep into abuse. She goes, you don't even get it. And she had dragged me and taken me to a domestic violence uh, seminar. And I sat there going, well, that's not me. That's not me. I don't have a black eye every day. That's not me. That's not me. And when I went to the counseling session with these two people and the counselor, I actually started to cry and ran out. I'm like, I am not doing this. I'm not going to sit here and let you beat me up again with your words. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I got up and left. And then she called me and she said, you know, this is serious. And she says, I can help you. She goes, I can help you. And I had had a therapist in my marriage tell me, your marriage is going to end badly. It's going to end one of two ways, you know, and it's not going to be good for you. And you need to start on, you know, building yourself back up. But, you know, when you get in these relationships over 12, 15, 20 years, it's not like it happens overnight. Right. So you're not even aware how much you're changing. Why would they tell you that, that your marriage is going to end badly? What, because what therapist says that? She took me aside and she said after our session, she said, you are involved with someone who has a personality disorder and it's something. And she gave me the the diagnosis and she told me I could lose my license for this, but I fear for your eventual safety. And she says, you don't get it. You are in denial. You don't even understand what's happening. And why would I? I never came from somebody who, you know, abused me. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's, you know, I was married to an abusive man, physically and verbally abusive. And so it's really important for women who are listening now, um, A, to know that you can get out and there is life after. I mean, after, like you said, that he hit you after, but he has a restraining order. Um, Did you press charges? Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever worried that he's going to hit your kids? Um, I used to, but not so much anymore. And what about verbally abuse your kids? Oh, yeah. All the names? Yeah. I mean, they were taken away from him uh, a couple years ago by the state and then given back. And, you know, he had to go to counseling. I mean, California is a reunification state, so they keep reunifying. But the person I am today can help shore up my children better. I can lead them through this when I can't protect them. Right. Yeah. Well, and anybody who who is listening to you and, and didn't know your story would be shocked. Really, because, you know, you think that here's somebody who's indestructible. That's how you come off, you know, indestructible. And so all of us are human and all of us, you know, can crack and, and, and fall. But it's not how, how, how far you fall. It's how you get back up. And we're going to go to break soon. But when we come back, we're going to talk about, you know, how do you get back up? How do you uh, bring your self-esteem back to the person that you are? Because really, it was a temporary, um, uh, temporary holiday, if you want to call it that, from the real you, I think. And um, because that wasn't you. But anybody can do that to you. Anybody, you know, with enough uh, um, determination enough, can put yeah, you down. Enough time, enough closeners, enough yeah. everything can get to you. Words hurt. Of, words do hurt. Okay, so if you're in a relationship and you're being beaten up with words, know that that too is abuse. We'll be right back in just a few moments. Stick around. Don't stop. That's right. Don't stop listening. 
Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to the living room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When it comes to exercise, don't overdo it. Some people push so hard for so long that they just burn out. And it's estimated that 10% of all exercisers experience burnout at one time or another. I monitor my clients, watch their workouts, and tell them to listen to their bodies. If you begin to feel more worn out than energized, despite your best exercise effort, it's time to scale back your fitness routine a little. Remember that your body needs time to adjust and adapt and that the progress of exercise is made during the recovery period. If you don't give your body proper rest, you may find that you're taking one step forward and two steps back. Keep your exercise moderate and enjoyable, and most importantly, keep it consistent. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. So what's a good story without a great ending? And Sandra's taken us through through our mission. We're almost at the end of it. And we're going to find out how do you come back and what were the lessons? And, you know, like we said at the beginning, uh, God works in mysterious and painful ways. But through the ashes, we, you know, we rise up and we're a better, stronger uh, person for it if we're open to it, you know. All of us have the opportunities. We don't all take advantage of them. So, Sandra, you know, it was a very painful time. You, you know, you did the best that you could with the knowledge that you had. Thankfully, people looked out for you and reached out to you and, and told you uh, things that you needed to hear. What made you receptive to hearing them? Um, what made me receptive to hearing them was I really was broken. And I... I one of the problems that I did was I thought I was indestructible. I thought I was tough. I thought I could handle all this stuff and I couldn't. And I was going down in flames and I didn't realize it. Um, but I got to a breaking point at one point that I just felt like so lost and so broken. And I did. I prayed to God for help. I prayed for all the stuff. I prayed harder than I've ever prayed in my life. And, you know, I realized I needed to listen because sometimes when we are really smart and we do have high education and we do have a lot of power, we think we're immune to this or we don't get it. Like for whatever reason, I didn't get it. And I got to the point where I broke. It's almost like an alcoholic that has to admit he needs help. And, you know, I thought it was some personal affront to me. And I thought if I admitted I needed help, that I couldn't do it. I was admitting I couldn't do it. And admitting you need help and admitting you can't do it are two 
different things, but I got them confused. Mm -hmm. And so that therapist that I told you about, she's so wonderful. I still see her today. Um, She's been a co-parent with me in helping raise my kids so that I can have a resource every week to go to, to either unload, offload, get some advice, talk about, you know, what we need to do next. Um, She was so gentle with me. She's like, all she said is she goes, I can help you. I've been there. Mm hmm. And I can help you come back. You, you've you lost yourself. You know, she just talked to me and it was only a, like a one minute or a two minute phone call. It wasn't very much. And she said, whatever your insurance is, whatever your sliding scale is, she goes, I will make it work. And she's like, you don't have to go through this alone. And, you know, when you have a difficult husband or a trying husband or an abusive husband, however you want to phrase it, you know, so you can feel good about it and not have to face it, um, you don't have to go through this alone. And one of the things that we do and one of the things an abusive partner does is start alienating. He had pissed off all my friends. He had sure. pissed off my family. He had, you know, you get more and more isolated and then you isolate your self and then you start to believe like i want to just say something frankie about post-its mm-hmm. um my ex-husband was a great rewriter in history like if i went to pick him up from the airport and i was on time two days later i would have been late four days later i would have been 45 minutes late a week later i would have been an hour late and how could i not remember these things and so <laughs> yeah. You know, he'd rewrite this history. Right. And so what I started to do is I took these yellow post-its and I would write the truth down or write what happened. Like I, American Airlines landed at 5.06. I was at the airport at 4.45. You know, I would write this stuff down and I would save it and I'd put it in my day planner. I'd hide it in my kitchen cabinet, you know, behind the cabinets mm-hmm. that I know he doesn't go in. I'd hide it in my medicine cabinet. I'd hide it in my purse. And I would go back and refer them. And when my therapist told me to do this, she said, you write down what you know to be the truth and date it and timestamp it Mm -hmm. and then compare it to what unfolds over time. And I started to wake up. I started to see all these little tricks that, you know, somebody does unintentionally or because they're unaware, but they want, they're angry. They want to hurt, you know, they, whatever they're doing, Mm -hmm. once you start realizing the tricks, another thing she asked me to do was she said, shut off all your phones and only leave one phone to answer. And I did because he would call the home phone. He'd call my work line. Then he'd call my cell phone. And, you know, and it was this barrage. And she told me some tricks about, you know, what abusers do and tying you up and making things your fault. And she taught me Mm -hmm. about projection, all these things that I was going through. I had no idea what they were, but when I could put a name to them, I could identify them. I could see them in my own home, almost like seeing a playbook of the other team in a game. Yes. Yes. All of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I get the game now. I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to argue with me and keep rewriting history till I'm confused. And then when I feel confused, I feel stupid. And then you plant the seed that I am the idiot. Right. You know, I started getting these things and she actually had me read some things about brainwashing and things about what, you know, like the Nazis did and what, what, you know, people do to get people to talk. And I'm like, wow, these are real similar. So when you're armed with knowledge, of what's happening, you can start to not only counterbalance it, but you realize it could happen to anybody. It's not because I'm yeah. so deficient that this happened or he's so no, but, powerful. But that's that the first thing they do is isolate you. You know, yeah. they want you to yourself so the friends go. And then you isolate yourself because you're embarrassed. 
and you don't want to tell people about your abusive husband because right. how, why would a smart, intelligent woman have an abusive, be in an abusive relationship? That's not supposed to happen. And so then you don't talk about it. If you're listening and this is you, you know, it probably is. <laughs> and, and, and this playbook is brilliant because they do, you know, this, the input goes into your subconscious. Your subconscious doesn't care. It doesn't have right or wrong, no morality. It's just a sponge it takes in and then you start to believe. And so the biggest thing now is for you to start to challenge your thoughts and you you wrote something on on a blog i read it and because when you said you started to you know be quiet and listen and you said being quiet is very hard for you and you said i usually face challenges head-on with all guns firing but today i'm choosing the challenge to be still the challenge to be quiet the challenge to be in inner peace yeah that's brilliant yeah. That was really hard for me because for somebody that like when I first came out of this relationship and came out of this marriage and this this like my I call it my trauma year, mm-hmm. um, I went to Krav Maga and I studied martial arts because I was going to punch and I was going to kick and it was really good for me throwing a tantrum because I couldn't sit still in yoga I couldn't I couldn't focus like I didn't have that and so I spent a year uh, two years training with um, the local karate instructor and I would recommend anybody to do this. I kind of punched out you punch and you scream and you roll on the ground it's like a real tantrum like you know right. and it's an effective good one but it kind of got all that stuff out and it took me a long time it, I had swallowed stuff for you know t- almost 15 years at this point mm-hmm. so it had to come out and one time I remember um, Frankie was holding this punching bag and he was telling me to punch and I punched and I punched and I punched and before I knew it Frankie all these tears were coming down my face like I don't know where it came from and he's like Mm -hmm. keep punching keep punching he made me punch through this whole crying jag and he was so great because he didn't ask me why I was crying he didn't get involved in anything Mm -hmm. he just let me release this emotion and once I could do that through physical exercise through punching kicking screaming and yelling then I sat down and I wrote and I wrote and I ripped up stuff and I wrote in journals and I threw them out and I wrote in journals and I burned them and I wrote on the internet and I wrote 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 because that's what worked for me you can paint 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 you can make jewelry you can do whatever only then could I sit down like now in a yoga class and find it really restorative yeah writing is is good therapy too for those who who you know like it who like it you know you journal your truth and you get out all those emotions and say those things that you don't uh, want to say to other people but the truth is still there in that book for you to read and it is. Eyes, and there's eyes some wide things, open. Like you just have to say, like, I think I use the F word in my first journal, like every sentence. Yeah. You know, I was like, F you for this, F me for that. How could I F and ah? You know, it was yeah. like, you know, the yeah. Bulgari special. So, but- so how, how long was it then, you know, before you looked in that mirror again and, and you saw that girl who climbed trees, that girl who, you know, was up with her brothers, that Sandra? It took me years. Yeah, it definitely didn't happen the first year. It didn't happen the second year. I think I started seeing glimpses of her because as I started to get more in touch with my friends and more in touch with people from the past and I started speaking to groups of women um, and going and listening to women speak. And I realized, you know, what happened to me wasn't the end of the world. It was part of the fabric in the quilt that is now my life. Mm-hmm. And you know, I believe that God gave me communication skills and he gave me this communication degree to help other women, you know, walk through this. So I look at it, this was my training to be of service, which allows me to put it in a better perspective that doesn't 
seem so futile or useless or ridiculous or painful. You know, it is all those things, but it also has given me the power to help others. And that is the best way to heal yourself. So why don't you tell women how to find you? Because they're going to want to talk to you. Oh, yeah. Well, you can go to my website, which is the easiest thing. It's sandrabeck.com. And that website has a lot of articles about it that I wrote when I was going through divorce and going through the court and going through, you know, the restraining order stuff. So I think it's really helpful for women. And, um, you know, I've got a couple of radio shows. So all of that can be navigated from sandrabeck.com. And what advice do you give them today about being unstoppable? You're more afraid of yourself than your who is ever after you. You know, I was more afraid of myself, of where I had gone so low than I was of what my ex-husband could do to me or what the court could do to me. I felt like it had all been done and that... If you just take a tiny little step every day and maybe it's to fix your hair or maybe it's to go to a therapist or maybe it's to go to a yoga class or a dance class or a Krav Maga class or you reach out to a friend and say, you know, I have a problem. I need some help. Um, It happens with tiny steps. It doesn't happen with great big giant steps. Good advice. You know, it's we're all challenged in life. You know, nobody gets through this life, I don't think, scot-free, right? We all come against up against obstacles and things where we feel, I can't do this. But it's amazing that we can do things and that we can get through crisis. We can overcome obstacles and we can come out the other side smarter, you know, brighter, um, with the knowledge that you are strong and capable of really anything and now, you know, the sky's the limit for you. There's no, nothing and no one, no situation that you're not going to be able to handle because you know. You know well, and I've already to, been to the darkness. Like, yeah. I've already been as low as I think I could go. Maybe I could go lower. I don't know. I'm an overachiever. We can well, let's try. not do it. <laughs> no, but let's not do that. Um, but, you know, you're different after. Right. And it's a good different. It is a good difference. Well, thank you. We've come to the end of the show. Thanks for taking us on our mission, Unstoppable Sandra. Wherever you are in the world, day or night, I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in each and every week. And I really do appreciate having you uh, in, in, in my backyard, let's say. <laughs> Sandra, thanks again for coming on the show. And Karina, thanks for producing it today. You all take care now. Have yourself a good day. Bye now. When the chips were down, they didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember... Don't, 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 don't stop.